Welcome to the West Side Audio Message Podcast. We hope you enjoy today's message. And if you're looking for more ways to connect with West Side Assembly of God, feel free to check us out at www.westsideag.org. You'll find all the information about our service times, upcoming events, and opportunities for you to plug in and get connected with West Side Assembly of God. Additionally, you'll find a complete online archive of all of the previous and current messages absolutely free of charge. We hope you are encouraged by this week's message, and thanks again for downloading the West Side Audio Message Podcast. Here's a reality check, okay? Life is tough. Does that, that come as a surprise? Life is tough. Peter tells us in his first epistle in the fourth chapter, Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you are going through. As if something strange were happening to you. We shouldn't think it's odd if we're walking through trials. We should think it's strange if we're not. We probably will have certain times in our life where we have a little rest from the difficulties. But for the most part, life is full of challenges. And those who are going to serve God successfully are just going to have to learn how to deal with that reality. Life is tough. So I've got some questions today. My points that I'm going to make have been put in the form of a question. The first question I ask, did you know that a difficult life is a normal life? And there's two levels at which I can apply that thought. There's the first level that pertains to everybody, not just Christians. Now, the second level that we apply this applies to the Christians. But the first one is just in general, life's tough. And I don't want to dwell there too long because that kind of leaves... Christ out of the equation, but we can't establish, because the Bible establishes this fact, the reason that life is tough. It's full of difficulties, trials, tribulations, challenges, because we live in a fallen world. It's because there is a curse upon this earth, and we're living in the midst of everything that that curse affects. We toil and labor against the influences of that curse. God said in the beginning, whenever man fell, now you've done it, you're going to have to make a living by the sweat of your brow. That meant it would be difficult, not ready-made like it was in the Garden of Eden, where it seems like things grew voluntarily without a lot of hard work, and there wasn't corruption and decay and rot. But they fell from that, and it would be the hardship of tilling a stubborn soil and perfecting the techniques of bringing forth a harvest that would sustain us from harvest to harvest. Things got tough whenever the curse hit this earth. And it's because of the curse, ladies, that you experience the excruciating, unspeakable pain of childbirth. 
It's because of the curse that we have poisonous spiders and snakes and scorpions and other creatures that go bump in the night. Wait for us to go to sleep so they can attack us. But it's because of the curse that we have these horrible things around us. It's because of the fall that we're always in danger from violent and unpredictable storms that come. Here in the Midwest, our storm of choice is the tornado. We've grown accustomed to it. We just deal with it. Californians can't process that. Their storm of choice, their disaster of choice is the earthquake. And that's okay. But they cannot comprehend how we can survive in Tornado Alley. But it's because of the curse that these things happen. It's because of the fall, the curse, that we're in danger from other human beings. Because people become so possessed by their wickedness that they murder and they rape and they steal and they terrorize the young and the old alike, all because we're living in a fallen world. It's because of the fall that we've seen some societies normalize the most immoral and and reprehensible acts. And because those things decay the foundation that the world empires have literally collapsed because of that. It's because of the curse, because of the fall that we struggle so hard in our relationships with each other. I don't think Adam and Eve ever had a fight. And certainly they were on right relationship with God until they fell. Then they were in wrong, wrong relationship with God. And how many of you have already figured out that it's because of our broken relationship with God that we have brokenness in our other earthly relationships? It's because of the curse that the seeds of rebellion find their way into the hearts of our children and they seem to evolve so quickly from that bouncing, bubbly, happy, innocent baby that every one of you held in your arms and loved and cuddled and thanked God for. And 10 or 15 years later, you're no longer thanking God because of the curse. It's because of the curse that our bodies surrender to the forces of gravity and age. And death is working in us every day. Because we started dying the day we fell. But the second level, that's the first level that a tough world faces everybody. But the second level is, is how Christians are affected by this fact. Life is tough. If it isn't bad enough living in a fallen world, as a Christian, you have the battle as well of trying to keep your faith intact. You have the challenge of an enemy who wants to destroy your faith. So put on top of it all the spiders and snakes and tornadoes and earthquakes and hardships and broken relationships. And now as a Christian, you have to deal with fighting spiritual battles. How often do you fight spiritual battles? It's daily, isn't it? It's a struggle. So we have it even worse than the rest of the world. So We are living in a world that is full of struggles. And Peter said, don't be surprised by the fiery trials that you're going through. He could have been referring to the way that Christians were persecuted in those days, being burned. 
But even if he wasn't referring to that, the metaphor works. How many of you know what a difference is between a fiery trial and just the difficulties of life? You've been there? You've tasted of fiery trials? So we're opposed by spiritual forces that have the goal in mind of defeating us. You'll face that every day to you live to some degree. They work covertly on your mind. They work overtly through other people. And however, knowing that this metaphor is not lost, Peter says, don't be surprised. Not by the general trials of life and the general struggles of life. Don't be surprised by the fiery trials that you're going through. That upsets me. That means that there's a prophecy, a prediction for me, a word from the Lord that I'm going to be going through some harder times than I'm going through. And I don't see any escape hatch for that other than just leaving this world. So what was I expecting? Did I really think that life was going to be a cakewalk at some point? Did I get the impression from God or from his word that everything was going to be okay for me and should be okay? And if it's not, that there is injustice. Did I really think that? Did you really think that? Reality check. It's tough, isn't it? Second question. Did you know that your purposes, there's a purpose and a benefit to your struggles? And if you knew that, do you remember that while you're going through the struggle? Are you in the midst of your trials saying, this is good for me? Bring it on. This is perfecting me. Or do you resort to, this is killing me. Lord, help, get me out of this. I can't stand it anymore. The benefit and the purpose of your struggles. We can back this up biblically. Ministry is born out of struggles. Now, shouldn't all of us want to be ministers for the Lord? Shouldn't we all want opportunities to be able to do something to advance the kingdom? And going through the trial, going through the storm, going through the struggles, those are areas that prepare us for ministry. The second thing I would suggest is our values are reestablished in our struggles. Would anybody here be willing to admit that when life is going pretty smooth, you get spiritually sloppy? But whenever we start going through the trials, we become the holiest Joe in the world. We care about things spiritually we never cared about before because we're going through the trials. We repent for things we'd have never thought of repenting for because we're going through the difficult times. So it tunes us up. Our values get reestablished. In our struggles, we realize the things that are really important in life and separate those things from the things that are not so important. And we find out that our values were all messed up when life was too easy. And the third thing I would suggest to you is our faith is strengthened 
by our struggles. Earlier in this same epistle, Peter reminded his readers, and I'm going to paraphrase here so I don't read that entire portion, but he reminded his readers that it was in great mercy that they had been given a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ and an incorruptible inheritance in heaven. And he told them that they are shielded by God's power until the time Christ comes back to consummate our salvation. Those are all very good, rich, encouraging, powerful things that he has just told them about their salvation, about their hope, about the mercy of God, about the coming of Jesus Christ, all of those things. And he follows that in the same breath by saying, in all of this, you greatly rejoice, comma, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief of all kinds of trials. So going all the way from these encouraging words, we crash to Peter bringing us down to reality. It's not all a bed of roses. It's not all pleasant things that we face. We have this hope, we have this assurance, we have this mercy of God, we have this grace, we have this looking forward to his coming back. But right now, you're in trouble. You're going through some hard times. We've had to suffer grief of all kinds. And they've come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. So he's saying that there's real joy in discovering that your faith can take it. That's what we've got to get to. That's where we evaluate our life and say, you know, I really can stand the storm. I thank you, God, you brought me through my difficulties and my trials. We have reason to praise God when we are survivors of the worst things hell can throw at us. Number three question, is your attitude right? You are defined not by the things that are happening to you in your life. You are defined by the way you react to all of those things. And I don't think we score very well on that. I don't think we react so well to the difficulties and the trials. Facebook affirms my suspicion. When we're the opportunity before the world to tell everybody how we're doing, we're full of people that are not doing any good. Life stinks. It's time for an attitude adjustment because this has everything to do with the quality of your walk. Not what you're going through, how you're handling it. Why do we want to tell the world that we're wimping out whenever we're going through the trials? I kind of like the example of that little uh, Shunammite woman whose son had died. And she was going to go find the prophet who promised that son. And she was going to take it up with him. You gave me defective merchandise. And as she goes on her way, her son is lying dead at her house. 
And the Bible happens to say that as she goes, people exchange the general pleasantries with her. How is it? It shall be well. It may not be so well right now, but I'm not here to complain. I'm telling you, it's going to be all right. Now, I like that. Maybe you would feel like you were not telling the truth if you were telling everybody, it's okay, I'm doing fine. But maybe you feel better better about keeping a positive spin on this, saying, it's going to be okay. Everything's going to be all right. How many of you know in living for God that really is the answer to every crisis you're going through? Everything is going to be all right. You know, when we come up to you and ask you how you're doing and you spend the next 15 minutes burning us down with how bad thing is, you have to remember, we really weren't asking. We were being polite. Don't take advantage of our courtesies. But what you can do is, it's going to be all right. God's got it under control. We refer back to what Peter said. In this you greatly rejoice. Because we have hope. We have all of these promises of God. In this you greatly rejoice. Although now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief of all kinds of trials. So Peter is saying that the right attitude places rejoicing above the misery of the things we're going through. If we allow in our rotten attitude our difficulties of life to turn us into Eeyore, then we are not doing justice to God. Peter says that because of the hope, the promises, the blessings of God, that overshadows every hard thing you're going through. If life is rotten, there is still reason to rejoice because your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. There's still reason to rejoice because Jesus laid down his life in your stead. He took the pain. He took the suffering. He purchased your salvation. There's still reason to rejoice because you have a hope and an eternity to look forward to with God. All of these things are reasons to rejoice that should never, never, never be overshadowed by the hardships of life. I'm not just preaching at you. I'm preaching at me. I slip just like you slip. I get to where life gets too tough and I don't think on the right things. Now, we are not superhuman Christians. And sometimes we think theoretically that when we get in the mully grubs, when we get there to where life is tough and we start murmuring and complaining, that theoretically what we should be able to do is go to the Bible and it says whatsoever things are pure and honest and all these things, think on these things and all we do is just say, well, I'll think on those for a minute and poof, life's going to be beautiful. It doesn't work like that, does it? It's not some formula. We have to really, really push ourselves to keep from surrendering to the difficulties that we are going through. And then how do you like it when, when people begin to tell how rough their life is and it becomes a contest? 
they can't wait for you to quit telling what you're going through because they got one better than you. And you have to listen to them because they listen to you. First of all, don't let the trials steal your joy. Secondly, Paul tells us to adopt the attitude of Jesus Christ. That is an active, proactive thing you have to do. You can't just say, because I'm a Christian, I'm immune. I'm impervious. It says you have to adopt. That is a definite action. I will take on the attitude of Jesus Christ. And in explaining this in the second chapter of Philippians, Paul says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, the attitude that Christ possessed and demonstrated was he, being God, deity, took upon himself the form of a lowly servant. Can you get a hold of this? How humbling, how humiliating it is that the God, the supreme ruler of all the universe puts on the dirty rags of humanity. There are just, there's a certain amount of pride built into most people. We want to wear the best that we can afford to wear, no matter what income level we're at. We just don't want to do less than our best. And that means for the person who's living at poverty level that they, they want to, their clothes to be decent. They don't want to dress in the unwashed rags of the man who is living in the gutter. They want to be a little better than that. Because why? Because we have pride in our presentation. And Paul says, let this attitude be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus, that he, being God, who never did dress in rags, who was adorned in glory came down and put on the rags of the man who was in the gutter and wore them and didn't complain about it. Let this mind be in you, which is in Christ Jesus, which is a mind of humility, which was a mind of humbling himself to the cross, which was a mind of becoming in, in, in his lifestyle human, Though he was the Son of God, though he was fully God, he was fully human. And we don't necessarily like that. I told you once before, but it's one of those lessons in life that sticks out to me so graphically. God keeps bringing it back to me. When I was refereeing basketball in California, I had to use the ref's jersey second in line the man before me was a world-class perspirer coupled with the fact that he did not believe in bathing and when he got done with that first couple of games and handed me this soaking wet ref shirt it reeked to high heaven and I had to take that nasty thing on and Pray in the Spirit. Lord, get me through this. I ran up and down that court like a madman because I was trying to get away from myself. 
Oh, that was, that was hideous. And as nasty as that is, the attitude of Christ was he put on the nasty clothing and he didn't complain. Let this attitude of Jesus Christ be the example for us that if he could do that, if he could lower himself, if he could humble himself, what do we have to complain about? If he can do that willingly, without a word of complaint, can we not bear the struggles of life with a little better attitude? Third point, Christ had important instructions on us keeping the right attitude. Now, it's a little play on words. It's not theologically sound. It's a little play on words. But we have the be attitudes, not the do attitudes. But it does remind us that it should become a part of our being and not just an empty action that we feel we have to execute. So in the Beatitudes, Jesus teaches us that happy are people who are poor in the Spirit. It's an attitude. Happy are people who are reviled and persecuted for my name's sake. Happy are the people who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Happy are the people when others bring charges, false charges against them. And he's talking about attitude. He's not talking about changing the struggles you go through. He's talking about surviving your struggles. He's talking about maintaining a godly attitude while you're going through it. And then James chimes in on this attitude that we ought to have. And he says, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. I'm still trying to perfect that one. I'm honest with you. I'm not quite getting that one down 100%. But I know what the Bible tells me to do. When I fall into trials, I am supposed to count it all joy, not because the trial feels good, but it says that knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. God is working in you in your struggles, in your difficulties. So we count it all joy. Number four question. Have you forgotten God? Or do you sometimes think God has forgotten you? Calvin Miller, a former pastor, wrote this book called Letters to Young Pastors. One chapter he entitled, When You Can't Find God. And he started that chapter off by saying this. I know it sounds a little clumsy. It almost sounds blasphemous. So excuse me as we get through this. You'll understand the point. When you can't find God, play God to somebody else. Now, you you may struggle with that. I don't want you to struggle with it. I want you to understand what he's trying to say. When you can't feel God. Everybody ever been there? Have you been at that point where you think he's not hearing you? When you can't feel anything special about your salvation, your relationship in him, one of the best things you can do is go and start ministering to somebody else. That's what you have to do. 
that will get you through that time. This, this man that wrote this book, this Calvin Miller, he said he was really impressed by the story that he had read. It was just a, uh, a novel, a fictitious story. But it was a, about a priest who had come to the point where he quit believing in God. But he couldn't quit serving him because he realized how desperately the people needed that. So he continued the rest of his life doing his ministerial duties. Inside, he just wasn't sure that there was a God. But he saw the desperation of the people who needed God. I wish it had, the story had a better ending, but it was, a, it was a, not a Christian story. But he thought about that. You know, you just got to keep on ministering no matter how you feel about it. The point is, when we are busy helping others, we are too busy to officially throw a pity party. Ministry to others helps drive away the doubts and the fears that tend to paralyze us. We continue to reach out to others through the times of our personal struggles. We become more effective in sharing with others because we understand the experiences they are going through. And it's often when God feels most distant from us that it's all the more important for us to continue to minister to somebody else for God. It just doesn't work for us to say, I'm not in the mood to teach about God today. Sunday school teacher, you know you can't get away with that. I felt good about God last week, but this year I'm in the doldrums. And I just don't feel like teaching. It certainly doesn't work for pastors. You see, we who minister, and I'm not just talking about pastors, but we who minister, more often than not, We minister in pain. And you do too. Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, as I bring a message to you, I am ministering through struggles and through doubts and through difficulties and through pain and through discouragement. And I've got this face I can put on. So that you don't come up to me and say, you really look depressed while you preach today. What's wrong with you? Because it just kills the sermon. And I'm telling you, you have to learn the same art. We can't be pulling out the showy face that comes to church and says, look at me. I'm Job today. You can't do that. You come in here and your heart is heavy and life is tough and the weight is on your shoulders. And when you strike up the music, you lift your hands, you begin to praise God and worship him because you're worshiping through your pain. You're worshiping through your struggles. You're serving God in spite of the difficulties. That's just the way God wants us to do this. And we have an example. Hebrews 4.15 says... This high priest of ours, it's referring to Jesus, understands our weaknesses. Do you know why he understands? It's not just because he's all-knowing. He understands because the Bible says he faced all of the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. How many times do you think Jesus ministered through pain? He had pain. He had disappointments. He was let down by people that he was supposed to be able to trust. He was, he was betrayed. He was ridiculed. False rumors were passed on him, and he continued to minister. 
He kept giving out. And never once did Jesus stop and say, it's getting too tough, guys. I just don't feel like doing anything God for God today. Go back home. I'll call you when I feel better. He was bone tired sometimes as the people came and lined up for the healings. And sometimes it says he healed them, every one of them. It takes a long time. It takes a lot of out of you to minister. He ministered through his pain. It's a good example for us. What about those times that we doubt God? You don't have to lift your hand. You don't have to nod your head. You don't have to respond. But have you ever doubted God? Have you ever in your life come to the point where you doubted his existence even for a split second? Have you ever been walking through that dry place whenever the devil comes up and says, there is no God, you've been playing games. You haven't heard from God for a while. You haven't felt God for a while. And the enemy wants you to entertain the thought, maybe this is all a big joke. Well, if you've never once had a doubt, then you're a better person than many of the great faith worthies. You're pretty special because there's been many a great minister and man of God and woman of God who've had those moments of doubt. Most of you are aware of John Bunyan who authored the classic work Pilgrim's Progress. This man walked with God. But did you know there was a time when Bunyan was so estranged from the presence and the sense of God that he stopped in front of a mud puddle and he challenged God and he said, God, if you're real, dry this mud puddle up. Nothing happened. Because Bunyan had to find his faith in God and his trust in God beyond some supernatural manifestation. He had to work this out. And I think many of us have come to the point where we put God to the test. It may have been a healing, trying to manipulate God. God, if you're real, heal me now. And he didn't heal you. So what did you do? Was was that really the defining test? Did you go away and say for the rest of your life, I asked him once to heal me, he didn't, so therefore he does not exist. Is that really what happened in your life? Jesus ministered in spite of his doubts, in spite of his difficulties. We have to punch through those things. We have to quit testing God and being up and down. And some days we believe in him and some days we doubt him. We've got to get through this. So here's a question. Is Christ really enough for you? Is he really enough? But my question is, do you really mean it? Because you can sing it beautifully. You can move me spiritually. He's all I need. He's all I need. Really? There was a woman who was called to be a missionary. She had asked God to give her the privilege of being a missionary. And God answered her prayer. She went to the mission field. And while she was serving on the field, 
there was a violent eruption. And some thugs broke into her house and they brutally beat her. And they raped her repeatedly. And she prayed during the course of the whole thing. God, stop them. Deliver me. Help me. This doesn't have to go this far. And as far as she understands and as far as she knows, God didn't stop anything. And she endured the whole thing. Now she has a crisis of her faith. Is there really a God? I come to the mission field to do his work and he stands and watches while I endure this? Is there really a God? She struggles. She doubts. She prays. Until finally she feels and senses God speaking to her. And this is what God told her. You asked me when you were first converted for being a privilege, for the privilege of being a missionary. Well, this is it. Don't you want it? Those sufferings are not yours. Those sufferings are mine. And all I'm asking is for the loan of your body. And she says, I continued. I tried to say, but Lord, I love you. You know it's true. All I need is you. And God said, no, you don't. You want Jesus plus. Jesus is not enough for you. You want Jesus plus respect. You want Jesus plus popularity. You want Jesus plus public opinion and plus success and plus pride. You want Jesus plus protection, plus convenience. You wanted to go out with trumpets blaring from this farewell do that you organized for yourself. You wanted photographs and tape recordings to show and play at home to reveal everything you had achieved. You wanted to feel needed and respected. You wanted other missionaries to worry about how they'll ever carry on after you're gone. You wanted Jesus plus a whole lot of other things. And you can't have it. It's either Jesus only or you're going to have to find that you have no Jesus whatsoever. And so we sing this beautiful stirring chorus. He's all I need. But when you walk from this building and you begin to complain to God about the things you're going through, Jesus is not all you're wanting. You're wanting Jesus plus all the conveniences you can think of to live your life. Because truly, if all you want is Jesus, it doesn't make any difference what else happens to you because you can say, I still have Jesus. Now, I know that sounds harsh, but we might as well get down to where we're really living. Is Jesus enough for you or not? And maybe the next time you sing that song, it'll mean something different to you or you will refuse to sing it altogether because you realize what you're really saying. We sing other songs like, take this whole world, but give me Jesus. But we gripe and complain when people start taking things away from us. So what Jesus do you want? Jesus that meets all your demands and Jesus that brings you convenience and Jesus that brings you ease 
and Jesus that brings you prosperity or Jesus that makes you happy every day. And the source of our murmuring and our complaining is because somehow we've convinced ourselves in this life we deserve better. You want me to knock that one out from under you too? Or are you already ahead of me? Somehow we begin to think that serving God was some sort of a guarantee of this pleasant life without trials and without difficulties. Who told you that? Peter tells us in his second chapter of this first letter that we, we read out of that we are pilgrims and we are strangers in a foreign land, temporary residents and foreigners. That means we don't have the comforts and the conveniences of being in our own country. It's difficult living in a camping situation. The writer of Hebrews as well, in the second chapter of his, in the 11th chapter, tells of the heroes of faith who had to come to the point that they had to adopt an attitude. Now you read those who suffered, about those who suffered in the 11th chapter of Hebrews, and how did they survive? They survived, they had a trick. They learned to adjust their attitude. They learned to adopt an attitude. And it says, they began to confess that they were merely foreigners and strangers here on earth. They confessed their home was not here. They were just passing through here to a much better country. And that's one of the tricks we need to learn. How are we going to survive the difficulties? You can say, because this is not my home. I'm not especially favored by the government of this world, by the reigning authorities of this world. They owe me nothing. I'm a stranger. I'm treated like an alien here. And you just confess it. I don't belong. No wonder I have the difficulties I have. We're passing through. Everything here is strange to us. But what awaits for us is so much better. And it keeps me going another day. The journey is difficult. But friends, the destination is worth it all. Do you really believe it? Worth it all? The trial you're going through today, is it going to be worth it when you see Jesus? If it is, we've got an attitude changer today. Lord, I don't need anything but you, and when I get there, when I behold your face, when I step into glory with you, all the trials and all the difficulties and all the hardships of the world are going to fade away. It won't matter anymore. It just won't matter anymore because we made it. And it'd be worth it all. Worth it all. Worship team, come.